Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here, joined by my friend and co-host Kevin Laramay. Kevin, Four races left to go in the Formula One season. Mathematically, the championship isn't over, but realistically, it is. And there's so much to get into. Once again, in a very eventful weekend at Suzuka at the Japanese Grand Prix, maybe not so much at the front of the pack in the race itself, but plenty of uh, talking points. But first of all, welcome to the show. And where is the season gone? It's like it's been on light speed. It really has, right? It's, uh, it goes as quick as a Formula One does. Uh, you turn around and the races just go by. There's only four left. Next one is Austin uh, going to the United States for the United States Grand Prix. And uh, Lewis Hamilton can clinch next Grand Prix already. You know, uh, I kind of wish we had a bit more suspense this year, but uh, we don't. And if Vettel finishes outside the points and... Hamilton wins. Well, we have a, a new champ. Well, new champion. We have a champion for the fifth time. Lewis Hamilton will probably win his fifth world title this year. Yeah, not that uh, four world championships is anything to turn your nose up at, but uh, if Lewis can do it, which in all actuality he is going to do it. I mean, it would take circumstances that would be beyond bizarre to unfold over the next four Grand Prix uh, to to really turn it and, and give Vettel the opportunity to win his fifth world championship. But just winning five, you get into that elite category. Lewis will have won as many world championships as the iconic and legendary yeah. Juan Manuel Fangio. And that is some pretty elite company. Of course, Michael Schumacher is the, the all-time leader with seven. But it's just, it, it's really amazing. And you think about how this season has unfolded and how Vettel has really become his own worst enemy. And of course, his team has let let him down a couple of times as well. But more often than not, it's been some of the, the things that Vettel's done to himself on the track that has really, really cost him this season. And if you took at your, or if you look at the amount of points that he's left out there, it would be the other way around, I think. If you look at the, the the points in the championship now, uh, Lewis Hamilton is uh, he's obviously uh, leading. Uh, he's on top with 331 points. Uh, Vettel second with 264 points. That's a 67 point gap, and I think it was almost identical after uh, the the same time last year. Well, I think it was almost within a point or two uh, last weekend after the yeah. Singapore Grand Prix, but uh, this past weekend. In uh, after the Japanese Grand Prix, it's just uh, increased uh, a little bit, but very much a, a season that Vettel has uh, let uh, get away from him, and a championship that he'll uh, well, I'm sure he'll he'll rue this one and have regrets. And Vettel himself said after the race that Ferrari made it too easy for Mercedes once again, and well, hard to di- disagree with that statement. No mistakes after mistakes, and not just mistakes of strategy or mistakes of of uh, developing the car or upgrading the car, which we have seen with Ferrari over the last few years, right? This year, it's mistakes by Sebastian Vettel on the track in qualifying this weekend and in the track where he tries to overtake Verstappen. Uh, Verstappen was... Uh, I don't think he should be blamed for that one. Not like the first no. um, first uh, skirmish with uh, Kimi Raikkonen in that race where he did get a five-second penalty. This one with Vettel... Uh, as a driver and as a probably future world champion in Verstappen, you don't necessarily have to give a lot of space to another car. You you don't have to give him space to pass you. If you keep it clean, keep your line, it is what it is. And Vettel trying to go into a hole that wasn't there, 
cost him time, spin around, and uh, could have cost him uh, the entire race. He was lucky to just continue on this race. But I just want to go back to Lewis Hamilton for a second, Mark. May, he will be world champion this year. Let, let's uh, let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> well, what's interesting to me is five-time world champion, and you can even say, arguably, in three different eras of Formula One. And for me, that's the interesting part of Lewis Hamilton. He was able to adapt to different cars, different landscape of Formula One. Just go back to the late 2000 when he first started and got his first win in Montreal in with McLaren, where McLaren was dominating. And then it got a bit more difficult, the McLaren versus Ferrari years, and eventually his move to Mercedes and the hybrid era began and uh, before the hybrid era we had the red bull era where vettel was dominating and then the hybrid era and you see the rise of the mercs and lewis hamilton back on top for the second time now since being with mercedes over the last few years so you do have an impressive stats here where you have lewis hamilton winning with different teams and a different era of formula one with different rules and different opponents and different type of cars and for me that that tells you a lot about the type of driver lewis hamilton is Mm -hmm. consistency might be even more important over one season if not a decade than being fast and it's not about winning races even though he is winning races and uh, we'll get to that part in a second where uh, vettel tries to win so much because he needs to uh, to feed that appetite that he's giving himself trouble and cannot consistently get the result needed and a second place all the time usually will give you the championship because no one's going to win all the races so that being said uh, impressive result by lewis hamilton but his biggest asset and his biggest teammate this year has been sebastian vettel and his mistakes yeah absolutely and and kevin i think you hit on a very very important point when you said uh, just to how consistent lewis hamilton has been over the course of his career during those different phases at McLaren, at Mercedes, and then into the the turbo hybrid era. And it's one thing to be quick, and it's one thing to be fast and and to be error-free. I mean, just to do it for that long and that that long of a time span. I mean, how many times have we said uh, or or talked about the, the, the mistake that Lewis Hamilton made? Not very often. You can probably count those instances where he's made a big mistake on on, yeah. on one hand, May, maybe one and maybe a couple of fingers on the other. Not very often. And that's for his entire career. The, just, just off the top of my career. head, off the top yeah. of my head, I can think of one with yeah. Rosberg a few years ago, right? Uh, the way he got into the side and he got to lose a skirmish. The rest, it's never his mistakes. We had... Uh, a few part of um, two years ago and the beginning of last year where the Mercs were not that reliable, has nothing to do with uh, Hamilton. But yeah, his there's no big mistakes from Lewis Hamilton. He might actually dial down his, his talent a bit. You know, we all know he's fast, but he has learned. What's the point of driving your car 110% and finishing in the wall and not finishing the race? You dri- you better off driving your car at 95% which the Merck mm-hmm. is good enough to to win at 95%, especially when Ferrari are battling from behind, you would say, and have to go for it, then they expose themselves to more risk, and we've seen those risks pay off for Hamilton because Ferraris have not doing well. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about Kimi in a second. You, you can tell that Kimi knows he's leaving because uh, he's just doing his own thing, own little thing, <laughs> and uh, he does. he's not bothered by the rest. He's like, okay. I'm here now. I'm just going to do this. I'm fifth. Oh, well, I'm fifth. That's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was just kind of thinking, too, just to the, on the consistency part about Lewis Hamilton and, uh, of course, uh, just the, the impressive how it is over that uh, that entire career. But, I mean, I think also that Hamilton just, I think if it's not at the front of his mind when he's in the car, I think he is aware of it on some level that he knows that if he just keeps himself clean and keeps himself focused that he's going to score points because he's had the best car, if not uh, all this, well, the past several years. I mean, this year, I think you could make the argument the Ferrari was the better car. Well, let's just say that for most of the season, I think they were pretty much equal. But Hamilton just has been able to 
be better over the long run and realize, okay, this is not the old days where they have like what six races <laughs> in yeah. a year like they did <laughs> in the 1950s. It's no 20- wonder, no wonder Fangio won five championships. That has six races. You won four of those, <laughs> and you win the championship. But you know, exactly. y- you mentioned the good car. W- yeah. We're wrong. It's not about the car. It's a combination of the good car and the good driver. You can Absolutely. be, you can have the greatest car. If your driver makes a few mistakes when it's not the time to do so, well, the greatest car won't win the championship. And that's what we're seeing this year. Even though at some point I feel the Ferrari was better. And now maybe not with all the upgrades of the Mercs and all. But at the beginning of the season, for most of the season, Ferrari might have had the best car. But I think they didn't know. You know, you're not aware that you have the best car. So you keep pushing, (laughs) keep pushing. You change something that maybe didn't need to be changed. And the mistakes of uh, Vettel adds up. And you land where you are right now, 67 points behind. Well, yeah, I mean, if you take all those incidents, you take uh, at Baku, you take it at France, uh, Germany, uh, the Italian Grand Prix, again, in qualifying this past week in Japan, he uh, qualifies ninth because he gets caught out by the weather. And then, of course, Ricardo gets moved back on the grid, so he moves up a place, ends up P6 after the race. And, of course, in the race, like you said, he had that incident with the Max Verstappen. I just want to put my two cents in on that. And Vettel, I think he did say after the race that he blamed Verstappen more for that one than, than him. And if you go and look at the replay, Max definitely leaves the door open. But uh, sure, <laughs> he leaves the door open. But it wasn't at the point that realistically Sebastian Vettel is going to be able to stick his nose up the inside and get around the inside of that corner. It was just never going to happen. It was wishful thinking. And the thing is, Max is not going to back off. Max is, once he's committed to whatever he's going to do in the car, he's not going to to, to back off. And um, that was the, the the result of it. And compared to the, uh, the, the incident that he had, Max that is, had with uh, Kimi earlier in the race, I thought it was completely justified that after the, the, the stewards looked at it and decided that no further action uh, w- was warranted, I'd say, yeah, it's, it's a racing, racing incident. I would give a little bit more of the blame to Vettel just because he was trying to make something happen that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And you could uh, give a little bit of blame to Max for leaving the door open. but well, like which, I said, I mean, which is fair, though. Like, if you yeah. leave the door open to the guy behind you, you're not responsible for what happens. And... There's yeah, always yeah. a bit more the onus of the, uh, I'd say the blame is always a bit to the guy taking the risk and the guy behind and the guy up front. There's only so much that Max can see when it all yeah. happens as well. So, uh, and I'm just tired of Vettel blaming everyone but himself. Uh, I think he needs to be a bit more upfront and be like, yeah, I effed up. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting if you take like the, um, you know, poor Max ended up in the Ferrari sandwich a couple of times during the race there. But it's interesting to take the, the both incidents and look at them uh, separately. You, you look at that just because Max left the door open doesn't mean that that you automatically should try and make an overtaking maneuver. I mean, uh, we don't need to rehash that one again. But if you look at what happened a couple of laps earlier with uh, Kimi Raikkonen at the chicane, Max goes wide, goes over the grass, comes back out, and then he runs a little bit wide and then bumps and you know bangs tires with Kimi Raikkonen, and then he gets assessed the the the, the five second uh, penalty. And if you look at it, I think that was that was fair enough. I mean, yeah, it was. You're responsible yeah, I, for your safety of your car when you when you leave the track, when you come back on the track. You're responsible not just for the safety of your own car, but for the safety of the cars that are on the track. And the cars on the track do have priority. Because they hadn't, they didn't left the track, right? They didn't leave the track, so they have priority, and mm-hmm. you kind of have to give right of passage. And he didn't in a safer way, in a safe way. So he got the penalty, and he didn't complain about it. He actually put his head down and uh, worked to to get to the podium and get to to the spot. And you know, there's a constant at Japan now in Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka when Verstappen is driving a Red Bull, he's on the podium for the Suzuka Japan Japanese Grand Prix. He's uh, really turned his uh, season around, but just to, to finish that uh, that thought, just how it, it's funny how Vettel puts more of the blame on his collision with Verstappen on Verstappen, whereas when you uh, take the comments by Kimi Raikkonen and his in- instant with uh, Max, 
he just said, yeah, in a perfect world, I could have left him a little bit more room. So, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. And uh, Kimmy, well, I mean, we don't really need to uh, expand on that <laughs> because he didn't really use too many more, more words than that. But uh, No, and Kimmy, you know, Mark, Kimmy is a type of driver that doesn't try to hide his good things or bad things. He doesn't try to hide his good moves or bad moves. And he, he's honest with... In a very few words, he's honest with everyone, especially the media, when he's talking. He's not sugarcoating anything. And, you know, he said it right. Like, if I could have went a bit more to the left and given space to come back, I would have. But I couldn't. And it happened. And it is what it is. We continued racing. And I finished fifth. And he finished third. And I lost downforce. And I couldn't get it. I wasn't as fast as he was. It is what it is. Vettel feels the need to always justify himself. And, you know... In psychology or another uh, other aspect of society, when you always need to defend yourself, it's because you know, you know, you did something wrong. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny too. There's a since the, the the Grand Prix, the 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 one and only Flavio Briatore has even come out and said that uh, Sebastian Vettel is too obsessed with race wins, and you know, to to take the title and see that big picture. Uh, like we were just saying that uh, that that Lewis seems to to be aware of, and I, I mean, mathematically there is a chance he can win it, and realistically it's it's not going to happen. I mean, Ferrari obviously they're they're saying all the right things that they're going to challenge for the impossible in the final four races. And Sebastian himself is, says he's inspired by the unbroken Ferrari spirits, and I think it's kind of interesting uh, too that. Uh, you hear all this criticism, which I, I think is fair. I mean, if you are one of the top drivers in Formula One, you're getting the big bucks. And then if you're driving for Ferrari, which is arguably the biggest uh, racing team in the entire world, uh, I, I mean, that criticism is going to be there. And I think as people in the media, I think that is right to put those questions out there and to uh, and, and to make those comments and, and draw light to that fact. And that's why I thought it was interesting that Lewis Hamilton came to the defense, if you will, of Sebastian Vettel earlier this week, uh, saying that the media isn't uh, showing Sebastian uh, enough respect. And just uh, he points out how difficult it is to be perfect lap in, lap out uh, for any athlete or, uh, or driver at that level. That, that's fair enough. I think it's a, it's a classy move by uh, by, uh, by, uh, by Lewis. But when you look at the bigger picture, it, it just wasn't Japan it wasn't just France. It just wasn't Italy. It just wasn't you know, all these different uh, d different races. It's the, the entire thing. Yeah. And it kind <laughs> of really, it, it's interesting because obviously since Sebastian's been at Ferrari, the car has gotten incrementally better each and every year. And since Stefano Domenichelli left the team and it was taken over by Maurizio Arriva Bene, they have become more competitive to the point where they have a car that is just as good as Mercedes, or at least in the first two thirds of the seasons, obviously these late season uh, upgrades have really made a difference uh, for, for Mercedes, but even uh, going back as recently as uh, Italy and, and Belgium, I mean, Belgium, you come back after two, not the greatest races uh, for Ferrari. I mean, Vettel had that, uh, that bad moments, when he crashed off on that slick track at uh, at Hockenheim in in, uh, in the gravel, just going in the stadium section there, and he was leading that one. He was going to win that race comfortably because Lewis just wasn't able to to match his pace, and uh, and uh, Hamilton, of course, he had that uh, problem with his car in qualifying. So it looked like that was going to be a Ferrari weekend, and then you get to to Hungary, and of course, Hungary is always one of those races that if you're not out leading then you're going to have to try and be you know make up positions either through some very uh, brave driving and and trying to pass in one of the only one or two places where you can pass or in the pits by via the undercut or the overcut and unfortunately they they messed up his pit stop there he came out just behind Botas and and Botas played the perfect teammate role but you know, you take those two uh, those two results there, which kind of flip things around, and Lewis goes into the the summer break leading the championship by a small amount. But you come back to Spa, and and the Ferrari and Vettel were just so much better in 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 the race. I mean, it wasn't even uh, close. You could tell that 
that Vettel was just far enough ahead. You know, he, he was just arm's length ahead of Lewis Hamilton to keep him at bay. And then you go to to Italy, the same thing. You know, looked like that uh, that they were going to be strong there again. And then you have that uh, that that bit of that funny qualifying situation where they just kind of rotate each and every weekend who goes out first in the in Q3. And that time it just happened to be Vettel. And then Kimi getting the toe and just pips him for the the pole position. And then Vettel trying to win the race on the first lap. I mean. It's it's funny. I mean, you can pick any one of those uh, incidents. You can go back as far as Germany if you want, or Hungary. But Italy, I think, is really where the the, the championship uh, really was turned around for good. That's where the the, the momentum really went in, in Lewis Hamilton's favor because Vettel didn't need to try and pass him at that point at that chicane just before they go into the Lesmos. He could have waited. I mean, he had the faster car, and I'm sure that uh, he would have had his opportunity to get around Lewis Hamilton. I mean, Kimi did very well, and uh, until obviously his tires went off later in the race, and yeah. that definitely was uh, was was the huge thing. But it sort of uh, begs a, a bigger sort of question. And it was an article that was on uh, ESPN and uh, by by Nate Saunders, and he ponders. How will Sebastian Vettel's legacy be affected by by 2018? And I, I think that's a great, great, great question because I mean, yeah. Vettel's not some rookie driver. I mean, he's uh, he's four time champion with the uh, with uh, with Red Bull, and I mean they were dominance in that era from about 2010 to 2014. Well, let's Those break t- it down for a second, Mark. Sure, he won sure. four championship with Red Bull, right? How much of it? is on Vettel and how much of it is on Red Bull for those four years. And uh, it was tough to say at the time because the two Red Bull cars were so far ahead of everyone else, including the Mercs, including McLaren, and including Ferrari at that time. So Red Bull, uh, both Vettel and Mark Webber at that time, and uh, Ricardo at the end, were faster than everybody else. So, so we couldn't tell how much of it was the car and how much of it was the driver. Now, being removed from that time, seeing what Vettel has been trying to do with a subpar car three years ago, nowhere close to a championship, and uh, battling from behind and complaining a lot, and the last two years where the car does get better, the car has been good, and has been good to challenge for wins at point, but I think, mentally speaking, Lewis Hamilton has been in Vettel's head. Over the last two years. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. every time there's one mistake, the pressure mounts for Vettel. Like, well, I've already screwed up my chances. I already made a mistake. I'm already battling from behind. So now I, I need to push it even more. I need to push. I need to push. And the fact that if a driver feels that he needs to push the car, push the envelope, push the risk factor, when did we see Vettel? trying to squeeze into a hole like he has on 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 the Japanese Grand Prix last uh, Sunday, well, Saturday night. We, we never saw that when he was a rebel, right? He was cool, calm, and collected. He was winning the pole, starting first, and finishing the race first. It was no mistakes. It was almost like a Swiss clock when he was a rebel. It's not the case with Ferrari. So mm-hmm. the more and more time by time goes by, I'm thinking those Red Bull years, those four titles are maybe more on Red Bull than Vettel. At least from what we've seen lately, that that's that's what changes in my mind for his legacy is people mm-hmm. are realizing interesting that with just a tiny bit subpar equipment when i say subpar is versus the best car in the field right not necessarily a subpar car versus the rest but without the best car on the grid he's not the best driver yeah you know it, it's interesting too like what you're saying about how lewis has been in his head and the prime of example of that i think that most people will probably remember about this era in formula one will be uh baku last year when vettel decided to drive into Lewis Hamilton and play bumper cars behind the safety car because he figured Lewis brake tested him and that's a completely bizarre and isolated incident I don't think I've ever seen at any other time but just even going back to um, Vettel's last year at Red Bull in 2014 which was the the first year in the the, the turbo hybrid era of course 
he finished fifth in the world championship that year. He had uh, three retirements in Australia, uh, Monaco and uh, Austria. And uh, Danny Ricardo, he finished third in the world championship, 238 points, 167 for Seb. And it's not like Ricardo had... Uh, he had equal uh, amounts of uh, bad luck. He was disqualified in Australia, retired the next uh, race in Malaysia, and then retired at the, the second last race of the year in, uh, in, in Brazil. But if you look at it, the, uh, sorry, uh, Vettel, his best uh, uh, results that year was a second in Singapore. He had a handful of third places at, uh, at Malaysia, Canada, and also in uh, Japan. He didn't win a single race that year, whereas uh, Danny Ricardo got three at Austria. And then also he, uh, or sorry, Danny Rick won in Canada, in Hungary, and in Belgium. So there, there, there was the, the big gap there. But it's interesting. I mean, that was, of course, his last year at, uh, at Red Bull before moving on to Ferrari. But even then, he was quite a ways behind his, his teammate. I mean, uh, even Valtteri Bottas, in, uh, which was probably Williams' I'd say last truly competitive season. They weren't bad in 2015 either, but yeah, 2014 they were like the uh, the third best, third or fourth best team, and that was a bit surprising. But yeah, the the Massa and Bottas era in 2014, yeah, for Williams. Yeah, but definitely just to to sort of finish off that thought about uh, Sebastian Vettel, just uh, I'd I'd say that that maybe this year does put a bit of a blemish on his uh, his career as a whole. I mean, he's still obviously a very good driver, and I mean, I don't think you can really take away the four championships he did win. But uh, I, I think the one interesting year is that 2014 when you uh, look at Daniel Ricciardo's first full year with a with a top team compared to uh, Vettel in in basically identical equipment. So it's going to be very very interesting to see how Vettel bounces back because I, I I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to check and. Maybe some of you guys listening will know better than I, but I, I think that Vettel only has a contract for one more year at Ferrari. So I don't know what uh, what's going to happen uh, you know, post-2019. So yeah, it's that's, fascinating that's, to see. It is fascinating to see. And I'm going to make a bold prediction here, Mark. Sebastian yep. Vettel will never win another F1 World Championship. Yeah, you know, that that's a great point. I was kind of w- wondering that uh, myself, whether or not he'll be able to, to, to pull it off. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch next year, Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc. I mean, obviously, there's going to be team orders and all sorts of things uh, going on. <laughs> I hope uh, not, though. Think. I, I hope not, because, you know, the more I get to see the new crop of drivers, and even Lewis Hamilton to, to a certain extent, to be a good F1 driver now, you need to be humble at a certain amount. You need to be uh, to understand that you do mistakes and sometimes it is your fault and you have to be better. If you're not humble enough to realize that you have to do better and you keep blaming on everybody else, you keep putting the faults on your team, on your strategist, on the circumstances of the race. It's a race. Cars are going to touch each other. Things are mm-hmm. going to happen. It's the chaos theory and you need to Roll with the punches. You need to, to, to still achieve results even though chaos will happen. This is what Formula One is. And he should know that. He shouldn't have this entitlement about him that he feel things should be different. And I truly feel that he's not humble enough. Hamilton bra- doesn't brag about his driving. He brags about a lot of things. If you follow him on Instagram, he brags about, he, he brags about his lifestyle, his nice cars and his uh which if i had them i'd probably do the same thing but he's trying to be humble on the track behind closed doors with his with his coach with with toto wolf he needs to be humble to realize the synergy between the car and the driver if you're not humble you're not being open and clear about your own self versus that car and you don't complete that synergy and you don't complete that living together that a car and a driver needs to be able to achieve to do what Hamilton has been doing. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but to yeah, to truly no, what you're trying to, say. Yeah. to truly make that leap to be the second best car to the best car, you need to realize that your mistakes are a learning curve and are a learning moment. And if you don't learn from them and you keep repeating them, in my mind, you're not humble enough. And this might be what the problem is with Vettel. 
the four championship made him think differently about who he was and what type of driver he is. And once those circumstances are different, he feels entitled that he'd be treated the same way. And he mm-hmm. wants everyone else to just let him win. I guess that's what it feels like. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, I, I guess it really depends what will happen next year once once they start racing. It'll it'll be fascinating to watch and see if Charles comes out and and starts racking up the points and say Vettel has uh, you know this this run of bad luck continues to plague him into the new season. If Charles is ahead in the championship at some point, uh, I, I mean, because. Team orders are a part of Formula One, and they're especially a part of life at uh, at Ferrari. I mean, that's just, I, I think, a bit of a given. But uh, it'll be fascinating to to watch those too. But just talking about uh, Charles, he said after the, uh, the the Japanese Grand Prix that Kevin Magnussen is and always will be stupid, referring to that incident on the straightaway where Magnussen basically pulled in front of him. Charles went right into. Is uh, the back of his gearbox? I mean, I'm all for the the one defensive move, but come on, you got to make your defensive move a bit smarter and a bit more clever than the way that uh, that Magnuson made, because all he did was help put himself out of the race and damage uh, Charles' front uh, front wing and his nose, and that was uh, one of those <laughs> moments where I was sitting there watching the race and I just kind of huh. Wow, huh? <laughs> it's not yeah. the kind of move I expect to see in Formula One, but unfortunately, Magnussen still seems to have these these moments from time to time. Uh, I mean, he seems to be in a good place personally at Haas, but every once in a while, he, he does something like that that just kind of makes you just kind of sit there and kind of throw your hands up in the air and just kind of have a, you know, a whelp. What was yeah. that kind of moments? It's kind of too bad, too, because uh, if you look at Romain Grosjean's result. And the yep. race that he did, the the car was good. The the car was good at Suzuka, and uh, he could have done a lot better. Came out there, and he could have continued to uh, to change his reputation. Uh, this year, that's what it has been, right? F one, he has changed his reputation to a solid and reliable driver that gets better with time in the season, and that can use the car to his potential and help the car get better. We have seen K Mag be arguably the best of the two drivers of Haas this year. So mm. th- that being said, this race at Suzuka, S- Suzuka is one of those tracks that I love because it has seen different eras as well of Formula One yep. fr- from the 70s to today. And you can compare, but not just that. It's it's about the track. It's not about the car. And the more it's about the track, the more it's about experienced drivers or at least not necessarily F1 experienced driver, but at least experienced driver as a whole, or complete driver, I, I should say, more than experience. It's one thing to drive the car when everything's going right and you can just bring it home. It's another thing to maneuver in a not an easy track, not a full out track, and get the result, get the performance out of your car, even though things are going to happen. And for me, I like to see those things when it's it's a track like Suzuka that we have seen a lot of history of this track. We have seen people win when they're not supposed to. We have seen uh, chaos happen from time to time. And sometimes we've seen boring races too. But when you have a result like uh, like Haas did with Grosjean and then you see K-Mag's result in, in the same race, it kind of leaves you a bit speechless. Like, wow, Haas, eighth position, Romain Grosjean, second best of the rest derrière Sergio Perez. And you still have uh, K-Mag finish 20th with the DNF. So, yeah, I, I truly feel that as much as it's K-Mag's uh, versus Charles Leclerc and Leclerc saying, I don't like K-Mag, you know, let, let's be frank here. Drivers are never going to like each other all the time. And mm-hmm. it's easy to blame the other driver. The other driver, when he's doing the move, he thinks that's the best move he can do at that moment. Now, what are the reasons why he's thinking that? That might be the questioning, and that might be what we need to to see if it replicates. Because, again, you're always going to make at least one mistake. So you need to not replicate this. So we'll see how K-Mag does in Austin, which is a totally different type of track. But yep. versus his teammate in this one, and especially in qualifying, too, it's uh, it would be really disappointing. If I was Kevin Magnuson, the, the good grace that I have been building this year, they... Uh, they they hit a little snag on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it, like you're saying, I mean, you got Roma who's uh, finishes in P8. I mean, definitely the car had pace, and uh, I would think that 
if uh, Magnussen had managed to keep in that race, that it would be a double points finish for Haas. So you can imagine that Gunther Steiner and the rest of the team have to be a, a little bit frustrated because, I mean, Magnussen has reinvented himself there, but that was a, a bit of a throwback to a, a less flattering uh, and more impetuous uh, sort of version of, uh, of himself. But talking about uh, other incidents on, on the track, uh, Fernando Alonso said that his uh, five-second penalty shows, quote, how bad Formula One is. And, uh, of course, very much like uh, Raikkonen and uh, Verstappen earlier in the race, uh, Fernando, who was kind of... <laughs> sort of middling around at the back of the pack because once again the the McLaren had no pace and and, and Van Dorn was way back there anyways uh, Alonso and uh, and Stroll had a bit of a moment in that ch- chicane as well uh, Lance uh, even though he was sort of judged to be the instigator of that uh, incident came off uh, he came out of it uh, scot-free uh, whereas uh, Fernando uh, he ran he went straight through the chicane went through the gravel and came back on the track when the, the, the stewards judged that he had received far too much of, a, uh, of an advantage by doing yeah, so, yeah. and they, they decided to, to nail him for that. So, I, I mean, I think that's sort of a fair sort of thing. I mean, when you gain that much time by cutting that much of the track, you're just kind of opening yourself up <laughs> for trouble. But you kind of just, you know, the, some of the things that Fernando are, com- are coming oh, out yeah, with. I don't... Now, I don't believe I don't him anymore. Think he right? cares anymore. No, now that he knows it's done. <laughs> You're absolutely right. First of all, I don't believe him anymore, and I love him. Just go back to yeah. 2017, when I was uh, in awe of what he was doing at in the Indy 500, and I was thinking, "Wow, I wish we could see that in Formula One." You know what? I can't wait to see Fernando Alonso out of Formula One. Uh, I think <laughs> Formula One needs it. I think yeah. having someone who complains all the time is not good for business. It's not yeah. good for McLaren. It's not a good look. And it's not good for Fernando's reputation as a whole either. You, you, it's almost like Vettel in a way. You can't just complain about it all the time. We know you're not happy. We know you have seen things run differently. But guess what? It's not a dictatorship anymore. And the stewards, they're not run by Formula One or Liberty Media or Bernie Ecclestone back in the day. And I guess it almost goes to this, that there's a few relics from the old times that are still there. One of them is Fernando Alonso. And Fernando Alonso has seen things run a bit differently. He has seen other drivers with different mentality. And now seeing those drivers that come in and trying to take their space, their spot, instead of waiting for the spot to be given to them, I think that's where this changes. When's the last time you saw a 20-year-old get a Ferrari drive? Or an 18-year-old get a Red Bull drive. And it, it never happened before. Because before, there was a certain hierarchy. And you had to, to pay your dues. You had to wait until the spot was given to you. And if you step out of line, you were just gone. Mm-hmm. And now it's not like this anymore. Now it's a new crop, a new generation with a different attitude, different mentality. And a different way to look at racing as a whole. And uh, Fernando Alonso, for me, is one of those relics. Maybe like Vettel. Vettel is way younger, though. But Vettel seems to have that same attitude, that entitlement. For for me, Alonso needs to go. Go to Indy already. Go, go have fun. It's the same old class of drivers in Indy. You'll get along. You'll drive fast. You'll get a chance to win. You'll be happy. Let the new generation take your spot. Yeah, absolutely. And as much as I hate to say it, I think that uh, Fernando, he, he's just basically running out uh, the, the <laughs> clock. It's uh, to, to use a sort of a football term. Yep. It's he's kind of in the garbage time of, of his career. And it's kind of sad to see. I mean, he's he's been a great driver. But I mean, we could probably do a whole show just uh, or, or, or several just on Fernando's uh, career in Formula One and some of the interesting and maybe misguided the steps and moves that he's made uh, throughout uh, as he's kind of well I wouldn't say it's so much burned bridges I think he's nuked bridges <laughs> several times <laughs> during and his career but it, it's yeah. definitely not a good look for him and it's definitely not a good look for Formula One when you have one of the, the your your best drivers and most experienced drivers uh, you know you know saying uh, things like that but Kevin just as we start to, to wrap the show up now just a, a couple of things that uh, I just wanted to touch on uh, one uh, Helmut Marco at Red Bull said that uh, that he believes that a Red Bull Honda success could be massive in Japan, and uh, I, I think so. I mean, obviously, the Japanese are, are, are big fans of uh, autosport and, and and Formula One. And <laughs> you know what uh, I just I, thought, Mark? Sorry to interrupt. You know what no, they're not what? a big fan of? Energy drink. 
that's one yeah. of the things that's not really consumed in 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 Japan. If that changes, I guess Red Bull's happy, and you know it's it's about marketing too, right? Let's not forget the names on the car. They're for more than just a sporting reason. Uh, a lot of time it's for marketing reason, and I guess Red Bull Honda partnership could be successful for yep. Honda sales and Red Bull sales. Very much like the original McLaren Honda partnership was uh, was very big. I mean, if you go back to the the late '80s and early '90s, the Senna Prost era. I mean, it was uh, obviously a, a very massive and very successful thing. The the past couple of years, maybe not so much, but it, it's funny now when Honda, or sorry, McLaren couldn't get couldn't get rid of them fast enough. How they ended up uh, with uh, a much better. Uh, at least a theoretically better uh, uh, team partner, a manufacturer in Red Bull, although their partnership with Renault <laughs> obviously didn't end well, but it probably ended up maybe a, a tiny bit better than uh, the way now, that... Uh, for now, At least it's... they didn't have to buy Renault out. So they didn't have to pay <laughs> Renault to stay home with their engines uh, like uh, like uh, McLaren did with, uh, <laughs> with it's Honda. It's funny, though, because at, at, at that time last year when we were talking about this, we are like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good for McLaren that they're getting the Honda engine, uh, that they're getting rid of the Honda engine and getting the Renault. But uh, in hindsight, you know what they say about, the, about people choosing, eh? He who chooses, chooses worst. Honda didn't pretty good with Tomoroso. Look at uh, Gasly's uh, Gasly's qualifying on Saturday. <laughs> it was 6, yeah, I think. Right. 6, I believe. So, not too bad for a, an engine that's supposed to be terrible. So, yeah. Next year, Honda engine with Red Bull might actually be better than the McLaren Renault engine, and maybe by far. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, it didn't quite work out as good for uh, Pierre Gasly. He finished P11 just outside of the points. Uh, teammate Brendan Hartley finished P13. And I thought it was kind of interesting just talking about uh, a marketing point of view, but it seemed every time they had a, a good moment in qualifying or during the race, the camera would flash to that one stand at Suzuka where everybody was waving a Toro Rosso slash Honda flags. <laughs> so there you go. The marketing machine for a successful Red Bull Honda partnership starting uh, next year. The seeds have already been sown. Let, let's uh, just uh, put it that way. So the next item uh, is uh, just staying in Asia, that the uh, the possibility of uh, a race in Hanoi and Vietnam has uh, moved one step closer to being a thing in 2020. And that's sort of been out there for, uh, well, several months now. The what seemed inevitable that uh, Miami was going to be the next addition to the calendar has kind of hit a snag. It's sort of sort of been put in uh, put in stasis in the the cryogenically frozen chamber while they sort of get through the the bureaucracy there. So I mean, it's not exactly dead, but it's not necessarily as a sure thing as it once was. And it's interesting that uh, after exploring some of these non-traditional markets, as uh, Formula One has done, that you know they wouldn't go back to a place like Turkey or India or perhaps even back to Malaysia. Asia. Obviously, they uh, didn't host the race this year for the first time in a, in a very long time, but uh, to look to a completely new and exotic market like uh, Vietnam. So we'll wait and see what uh, what happens there. And then also another name from the past, not the, the, the very distant past, but the recent past, another young driver, Pascal Verlein, has turned down a chance to drive in Formula E season five. Uh, for them, starts uh, not too far down the road here. And uh, he's uh, focusing on a return to, to Formula One. Of course, Pascal drove for Manor Racing and then also for uh, Sauber. Sauber last year. And, uh, well, he was one of these guys, again, who had uh, ties to uh, the Mercedes Young Driver program. And uh, as we've seen with uh, Esteban Ocon, that necessarily hasn't been a, uh, it's been a bit of a, a a bit of an albatross around Esteban's uh, neck. Obviously, he seems to be the one guy that might be without a drive next year. Uh, when, when the music stops, uh, there, there was a rumor going around he might be the reserve driver for Racing Point Force India next year. And of course, we don't really know what's going to happen with Williams, but it just seems inevitable that uh, that Stroll will go to uh, Force India, and who knows what's going to happen with Williams. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've heard uh, that Sorotkin will be back. He won't be back. Yeah. Uh, Kubica wants a, a race drive there. He's obviously the, the the reserve driver there this year. And he said if he doesn't uh, get a, a like a, a racing drive next year, then 
he's uh, he's off. He's going to go and do something else rather than wasting time in Formula One at this point in his career. So where well, where know, Pascal figures he fits into this picture, I'm not really too sure, Kevin. I still see Ocon going to Williams. And for me, Verline, uh, Toro Rosso that still has a, a chair open for next year, I believe. But Hartley yeah, hasn't been confirmed, it, so it's it's Kvyat no. for sure. Yeah, well, the torpedoes taking one. I think obviously Hartley's fate was uh, was uh, why I think they showed their hand earlier in the year when uh, they had uh, when France Tost had uh, approached uh, Zach Brown and McLaren about signing uh, Lando Norris basically on a, on a loan deal for the remainder of this season, which was probably only a third or a half away through at that point and all of uh, 2019 to which, uh, uh, you know, McLaren firmly said no. And then of course, a couple of months later, he's uh, Norris that is, is announced as a uh, partner to Carlos Sainz for next year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see uh, Ocon going to Williams and there, I mean, there are a couple of spots left, but I don't know. I mean, uh, Verline, he had some moments in that Sauber last year that was obviously very underpowered, did a couple of things here and there. But, you know, I mean, compared to some of the other guys that uh, that may or may not be in Formula One next year, uh, I mean, uh, Ocon especially, I, I rate him much higher than uh, than, than Pascal Verline. Yeah, no, I mean, well, they're, they're both good drivers, obviously, to be well, in the, put the together. Put him together, Williams. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And then also one final interesting uh, story is that there's a women-only motor series uh, or racing series coming out uh, for next year. It will be an international racing series that uh, will be exclusively for female drivers. And it's basically to give them an opportunity to get a bit of an easier pathway into Formula One. And it will feature six 30-minute races throughout uh, Europe in the opening season. And then they hope to expand to include uh, races all over in the world, Australia, Asia, and the Americas. And, uh, well, it's kind of cool. The winner who will, that comes out on top will earn $500,000 to help fund her next step up the racing ladder. So uh, it's very kind of cool. So yeah, they'll be, I, uh, I applaud that, uh, yep. that project and the ambition. What always has been a bit difficult in the history of motorsport in general is that mm -hmm. there's been women racing for 50 years and even more than that. From NASCAR yeah. to Indy to uh, not so much Formula One, but to NASCAR and Indy especially. And there's been good ones. Like as much as people want to talk about Danica Patrick, she was actually pretty decent. And she won some races in both Indy and NASCAR and she's done well. The thing is, is that there's always been that... Well, you almost have to be better than everybody else just to keep your seat. And it's more about how you look and about what type of sponsors can you get. Do you have that different type of sponsors? Will you get the? So I, I hope and I'm not necessarily sure about this because it all depends where you live in this world. In some part of the world, they're way more progressive than others. In some part of the world, we're not even allowed to be in sporting events. So and some of those places in the world actually do have Formula One races. So, so that's something else. What's going to happen when you go to Abu Dhabi? <laughs> if there's mm -hmm. if there's a woman driver, could she even take part? You know, that's just little something aside. But what I think is interesting with this project is to expose people to more than one woman driver at a time. Because sometimes if you only have one, and uh, the name I'm going to get, no, no offense to her, but Sarah Fisher back in the indie days. She was uh, late, she was last, or not doing well, big crashes. She was seen as a backmarker. And it doesn't mm. help the impression or the perception of all women. Even though, do we see this about the men? We don't. We don't say, oh, one man's bad, they're all that way. No, it's it's all individuals. And it's the same for women. And I I hope that with this W, Formula W, whatever, whatever it's going to be called, that we realize that, it's not about the sex of the drivers. Drivers are just people driving the car. And it doesn't matter the sex at all. They're all individual driving the car. And for me, you cannot have a more difficult path to the same thing of somebody else if everything else is equal just because you're a woman. Yeah. If you're a woman and you have the same sponsors, you have the same opportunity, it should not be made more difficult because you're a woman. It should be the same. And if... To facilitate that, we need to make it more more easy at the beginning to expose people to more than one woman at a time, to expose them to multiple drivers 
that are talented and there's tons tons of women's talented in all different types of motor sport racing all across the world from the micro mm -hmm. cup in canada to the pinty's nascar series to the indy lights to the indy there's talented women just give them i not even say an opportunity just give them a platform where they're not going to be judged for anything else than being a driver yeah Well, it's interesting you should make that point because uh, former Formula One driver David Coulthard, who won uh, 13 Grand Prix, he's uh, one of the judges for this uh, series. And he says that uh, he hopes that the, the W Series, as it's uh, being called, will help them break what he calls the, the glass ceiling in the racing pyramid as they, they go up through the, the, the different levels. So not only is uh, Coulthard involved, but um, uh, former McLaren team manager Dave Ryan He's also the uh, the racing director for W Series and Adrian Newey, who's um, obviously uh, one of the legends when it comes to the technical side and the design side of uh, Formula One. So it's going to be interesting to to see how the, the series is received and more importantly, will it uh, help uh, the, the, the winner and hopefully winners uh, down the years uh, progress up uh, through through the ranks. So another one to, to definitely keep uh, the eye on. So, Kevin, I don't know about you, but that's uh, that's all I've got uh, for this week. Um, of course, uh, no Grand Prix this weekend. Next one is, of course, at the, the Circuit of the Americas at Austin, Texas. Should be interesting. Weekend. It's always interesting, interesting, right? Uh, now the uh, Circuit of the Americas, yeah, with uh, the colorful colors and colorful political background and environment that we're in right now. <laughs> Let's go to Texas, people. It's always bigger well, in Texas. It is. So one of these days, I'd love to go to uh, to Austin because I've, when, when a town has the motto, keep Austin weird, I got to go and check that out for myself at one point because I got to see if that's true because apparently it is supposed to be a very colorful city in, in a many number of, uh, of ways. So let's just uh, hope at least for next weekend it's a, an enjoyable Grand Prix. But uh, we will be back again this time next week to talk about it. And before we go, Kevin, just remind everybody where they can find you on social media. You can find me at Kev Laramie and find the network at SportsPodNet, SportsPodcastNetwork.com. And I want to say a little shout out to a PlayStation friend, DJ Flack, that is a F1 fanatic and is listening to us from uh, Latin America. And he uh, sent me a friend request, fan of the show, when he's playing on his simulator with PS4 and add me as well at Kev Laramie. I'm playing uh, Formula uh, F118 as well, 2018, and uh, from uh, Codemasters, obviously. Great, great people. But uh, do like DJ Flack and add me. Very cool. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. And thank you all for downloading and listening to the show. And thank you for all the emails and tweets. Love the community that's starting to grow around this, not just around the podcast, but also online, uh, like, uh, like like Kevin, playing with other listeners and with uh, with Formula One fans. So that's, uh, that's really cool stuff. Glad to hear it. That's it. That's a wrap. I'm Mark Daly on behalf of Kevin Laramie. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you again this time next week. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?